Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you're visiting with us today, let me catch you up a little bit here. We are in a series that we're doing through the season of Lent called The Gospel in Seven Words. And so typically throughout history, when the church thinks of the season of Lent, that's that season from Ash Wednesday to Holy Week and and beyond, right, into Easter, um, we think of that as a season of, of preparation. 40 days, we typically say, um, reminding us of the 40 days that our Lord Jesus spent in the wilderness, fasting, being tempted by the devil as he was preparing for his ministry on earth. This is a time of preparation for us as Christians to celebrate and to commemorate the most important week in world history. Holy Week. And I say this not just because I'm a follower of Jesus, although I am. I say this not just because I think communion is important, that Good Friday, the death of our Lord, is important, that Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, is important. But even if you don't believe those events, there's no question that even till today, the world has been changed by what happened that week some 2,000 years ago. My son Asher the other day asked me, he's like, Dad, how many people in the world are, are Christian? Well, currently the count's somewhere around 2 billion, right? Uh, 2 billion people that profess Christ as Lord. So Jesus and what the events of that week, Holy Week, certainly impacted history. Now, we may disagree on whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, but the impact is there. And so as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're preparing ourselves for Holy Week, but we're also taking this year to prepare ourselves to confess the hope that we have in Christ. That's what First Peter chapter 3 tells us. Always be prepared to share the reason that you have hope in this world. And our hope as Christians is in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, uh, when we think about being prepared to confess, prepared to speak the gospel, it can be a little bit intimidating for some of us. Most of us don't have the job of standing up here in front of people and telling people about Jesus every week. And so that's, and that's fine. And yet the command to be prepared, the encouragement to be prepared, it still remains. And so what I want to do during these few weeks is to think about, how, well, how do we be prepared? My, my job, if I were to refer to it that way, is to prepare you to be prepared. And so that's what we're going to do. The gospel in seven words. One thing that came up last week, and I think was a good point, and I thought about this a lot, was why seven words? Now, there's nothing theologically significant about 
the gospel being shared in seven words. Let me make that clear. It's, in a sense, arbitrary. But in another sense, it is based on uh, some other realities in life. And, and I'll say it this way. I, I think that we want, when we prepare to share the gospel, if we are to be prepared, that we want the gospel to be something that sticks and something that stirs in us as Christians, right? So let me explain what I mean here. Sticks, right? 286-4846. Any idea what that is? It's a phone number. That was my childhood phone number, right? <laughs> Back when I lived in Chardon, Ohio. It's no longer active, uh, so go ahead and dial that, and you will not get anyone related to me as far as I know. Um, but I remember it, it's stuck. Coincidentally, how many numbers are in it? Seven. I'm just saying. Maybe there's something about the number seven, right? It's stuck with me. Uh, I, we want to be, if we're going to be prepared to share the gospel to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, well, we want it to be memorable. We want it to stick. So that, that's the stick part. But then there is the, the stir part. Stirring emotions, right? Stirring our feelings. When we share the gospel, yeah, I can rattle off 286 I'm sure many of you can rattle off, most of you can rattle off um, your, uh, your phone numbers from your childhood. But it, it doesn't really stir. You know, the number two, it's great, but uh, it doesn't really do a whole lot for my um, heart. You know, I don't start, my heart doesn't start beating faster. However, when I think about the gospel, when I think about the good news of Christ, there are things in particular about the gospel that, well, um, whew, stir. When, when I think about what Jesus has done for me, Larry, in my life, and what we talked about last week was digging into sort of our, our bad news, preparing to confess, thing that I really came away with from that time was, I don't deserve anything. And yet Jesus gives me everything. <laughs> See, that, that, when I really think about that, when I think about my childhood and how much has been given to me in life and my parents and my, the love of, of my uh, mom and dad and, and childhood home and going to college and things that led to me being able to stand up here, I didn't deserve any of it. And yet, Jesus gave it to me. That, that speaks to me. When I start thinking about it, that makes my heart start to beat a little faster. So we want the gospel that we're prepared to share with people I want you to be, be prepared to share something that means something to you. Anyone can rattle off a bunch of numbers. Anyone can rattle off what the pastor said last week in the sermon. 
But the gospel is for you. And so in a sense here, I want to be talking about your gospel. Not that the gospel, there's the universal gospel, right? It's true for everyone, but I want us to be prepared to speak about what has impacted us. Sticks and stirs. Make sense? Now, as we think about sharing the gospel, the gospel, I would say, is like a jewel, a diamond. Fits with weddings and whatnot, right? So, but as you look at a diamond, it's beautiful, but as it turns and as the light around it in the, in the world shifts, different facets really uh, gleam and glitter, right? I don't know. Uh, there's, uh, it, it, it's more brilliant it, it's where, the eye, uh, where the light really uh, reflects and catches your eye. I would argue that the gospel is like that. It's, it's, it's one jewel, if you will. But for each of us, different metaphors of the gospel sometimes speak a little bit more poignantly, a little closer to home. Right. And so that's why after a particular sermon, one person can kind of walk out, shake my hands, give the obligatory, great sermon, pastor. And then another person can say, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. It really spoke to me. And then another person can say, eh, I'm not sure about that, but we'll leave that part to the side. But do you understand, like, I, I have half the duty at this point, in an earthly sense, to preach the gospel. And I require the Holy Spirit to do so faithfully and to do so in a way that honors God and to do so as creatively and impactfully as possible. But there's a, the other half of the reality, like you are just in different places in life. Some of you are walking through um, tra different tragedies. Some of you are going through different celebrations in your life. The where you are is going to impact how the gospel connects with you, right? And so this is my super long introduction for today. I want to take a minute, though, just think about what, what are some of these metaphors of the gospel, just to get our creative juices going a little bit. Darkness and light. Death and life. See? Different metaphor, different images that are used there. Captivity and freedom. Lost and found. Sickness. Health, right? I had healing, but health is better, right? <laughs> so either way. Lies. Truth. Truth right? right? So see, the, the God, there are different metaphors for the gospel. Today, what I want to, to think about and to talk about is isolation 
and community. Let me read for us from Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 68 and verses 4 and following. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the elders, uh, I'm sorry, through, rides through the deserts. You see the here how um, this is stirring, right? It's leading the psalmist to, to sing, something to give joy about. Exalt before him. And he goes on. He's the father of the fatherless. Protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Hmm. Father of the fatherless. Protector of the widows. Those who have lost community. Whether it be a parent, whether it be a a spouse, those who have lost some sort of community in their life. I think this is an important issue for us. If you've been around, you know this is one I like to talk about. We did a whole series back in Advent talking about our loneliness and the companionship of Christ. We live in one of the most, uh, the most connected time in world history. Social media puts people at a fingertips distance, right? We can look at people through a screen that are thousands and thousands of miles away. And yet, we are lonely as a people, isolated as a people. The levels of anxiety reported by mental health professionals, depression, anxiety, Suicidal thoughts, loneliness, it's high right now. It's as high as it's ever been with adults, with children, with people who are by themselves living in a shack out in the wilderness, with people who are regularly around other people, right? Being lonely is not... Uh, the opposite of being with people in a group. Does that make sense? You can be with people in a group and still feel lonely. It's an issue that is prevalent in our world today. It's something that I think we need to talk about. I'm hoping that this, this week will be a good... Uh, opportunity for some discussion amongst us. And so this is, I I want to do the best I can, which is really hard for me, pray for me, to stop talking (laughs) or to talk as little as possible and to let you all talk because we are a community. And so I believe that the community of Christ can contribute to this discussion. So what I want to do is ask a few questions of us as we think about isolation and community. So when you think about maybe being lonely, this, this is a question for you. 
When you think about being lonely, what is the first word that comes to mind? I'm sorry? Your dad. Yeah, okay. Thanks for sharing that. And let's try a marker that works, maybe. Oh. In case this happened, I brought a whole container of markers, so I'm sure one of these will work. So, so Dad, and can I ask, is it... Uh, are are you missing your dad, or is your dad uh, lonely right now? Yeah, I have a 93 year old father. Okay. He's living in his own house, but I yeah. get frustrated sometimes when I'm talking to him and I shouldn't. Yeah. Because of his loneliness. Yeah, right? Yeah. Good word. Makes me think of my. Grandma that I need to call her this afternoon, right? So, Chris, fear. Okay, so, so isolation, loneliness makes us think of fear. It, it's scary to be alone sometimes, right? Is that anything more you'd like to add to that? Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So. Isolation can cause fear, but fear can also cause isolation, right? It's fear of the unknown, fear of those scary people, whatever. I mean, another thing, thinking about isolation today, we're, what, two years in now to COVID, pandemic, social distancing or not, or I don't know, it depends what week it is, right? You know, and oh, so right now we don't have to wear masks, but seems like it's always changing and I, that's not a intended to be a jab at anyone's policies it is just trying to name reality right um how many people are afraid to come back to church because they don't know what might be spreading right yeah probably about 40 percent of attendance because that's about uh where the average is in the church right now is about 60% of what pre-pandemic attendance was. So, George, go ahead. Diminished. Diminished. Ooh, that's a, that's a big word. And I don't have a spell check. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Hmm. I'm like, literally, as you're speaking, I'm getting tingles here. Yeah, um, because that's one of my fears is that, God forbid, anyone think I'm useless, right? Like, that's a fear for my of mine, right? So, yeah, 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 good. Jennifer, this, <laughs> you guys are, this is not challenge the pastor, right? Despondent. Despondent is that I don't know, close. Yeah. By the way, if you guys want in your worship bulletin, there's a section for notes. If you want to jot anything down or 
fix my mistakes or whatever. I think there are pencils in the, the uh, pew racks and you can do so as you're preparing to confess yourself. So despondent, can you, can you tell me more? Hmm. Yeah. Good. Anyone else? Naomi. Ah. Yeah. Can I put a word down here? This is what I would say. Shut-ins, right? Something that is a pastor... Don't do a whole lot of up here. Actually, haven't ever done one up here. <laughs> but down in the front range, um, we had one or two days a month that were devoted to shut-in visits, right? People that couldn't easily get out, get to church, and we take communion and that sort of stuff, right? So, oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, for me, it's, it's both sad and scary, Sad because I've seen the loneliness in people's hearts and faces, but also scary, like, is this a picture of my future at some point? Yeah. All right, let me, let's uh, go on to another question. But before we do so, I want to read for us from Genesis chapter 2. We already heard this verse in the wedding today. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This was during creation, right? Everything was perfect. Everything after every day, six days of creation, the Lord said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. This is the first time that he says, not good. Not good for a man to be alone. That's the first thing that God refers to as, as um, being not good, and that's even before sin, right? So you see how he has created in the fabric of our world, of our life, community. Why do you think that's so? Why do you think it's not good to be alone? Johnny. Scary. Oh, man. Yeah, it's. I know one of the most heartbreaking things for me as a parent are those times that one of my kids come home from school, had a rough day, and no one would play with me today, right? And they're just broken, you know, like the feeling of no one likes me, I don't fit, or whatever, you know, whether it's true or false, whether it's just a fleeting or a reality or whether it's something that's just persistent. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. So anyone else, why is it not good to be alone? 
isolation, right? You ever notice, like, I'll, I'll say this, when I'm by myself too much, the things I think about get weird, right? <laughs> like, uh, like, I start making up conversations in my head that wouldn't ever happen except if everything possibly went wrong one day, right? And yet, I'm still, I, I, I prepare for defending those kind of discussions or those arguments instead of preparing to defend the hope that we have in Christ, right? So, yeah, yeah. Isolate. Do you want to say anything more? Yeah. So, having someone with you helps to make us whole. Right, Patricia. Yeah. Right. Mm, okay, so both very pragmatically, like if you're with two, if you're out in the backcountry and you're skinning up uh, Buffalo Mountain and you fall, I'm just saying that one time um, I heard that uh, some guy did this, right? It's helpful when your friend Brandon is there to pick you up, right? <laughs> and to say, hi, Larry, maybe you should try this or that, right? You know, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of wisdom in that, but also... Yeah, joy, right? Like that, uh, yeah. And, and I want to push into that, but I'm going to leave the, the joy discussion for a little longer. John, go ahead. It's better to give than to receive. Okay. Yeah. Some, yeah, so... There is, a, and it's almost counterintuitive. Wait, I thought I was supposed to just get as much stuff as possible in life, right? And yet, giving things away. I mean, even the world gets this. Our thrift store down in Arvada, I remember the sign in front of the store. Um, feels good to give, or something like that, right? Um, yeah, so... You don't, I don't know what their affiliation as far as faith or whatever get is, but there's um, proverbial wisdom from God in that, right? So, good. All right, let's, let's keep moving here. Let me ask this question. Why do we, at times, reject community? We've talked about this a little bit already, the fear thing. But I also want to bring this out because I think there are people that live here in Summit County because they are trying to get away from a community in their past. So what do you what do you think? Why do people sometimes reject community? Avoid controversy, right? Avoid conflict so much easier to just have Thanksgiving by ourselves without bringing the in-laws in or bringing in the extended family. Hmm. Yeah, right. That's, that can be the thinking, right? Yeah, Donalyn? And, um, I think that people help to tell us who we are. So when you're in a relationship with somebody, well, I just know that one of the things that my kids did to me is 
kids tell you who you are and who you aren't. They, mm. they help reveal these demons. And, um, and so when you're around someone else, you don't get to run and hide. And you, when you're by yourself, you hide. But when you're with someone, I mean, just in all the relationships, um, I know that if I if somebody's bugging me and I'm prickly, it's something in me. Yeah. It's not them. It's I need to address why is that? Why did that? Did my hair stand up on? And so I think that we end up um, like uh, uh, with when we're with people, we have to be true and honor ourselves. Yeah. And that's very scary. Being with other people exposes our brokenness, our, our idolatries. Our, yeah. Yeah. Good. Did I, oh, okay. Here's, here's one, and I'm going to push you a little bit. This is definitely your pastor question for the day. Can you think of people from Scripture, from the Bible, who found themselves alone? Cain. Cain. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's an interesting one to start with. Yeah, tell, elaborate. Well, it's kind of interesting that God comes to before anything's going on. and says, Cain, you got an issue here. And Cain says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes and kills his brother, God comes to him again. And it's kind of interesting because my way of looking at it is Cain is doing his own thing, walking that way. And when God calls him, he doesn't stop and do the 180. He just kind of looks over his shoulder. Yeah. He's not really concerned about what he did, but about what others might think of him. And so if you want to look up this story, the story of Cain and Abel, I think it's Genesis 4. Is that right? And, and then after he kills his brother Abel, what's his punishment? He's cast out, and Cain's plea, don't do it to me, God. They're going to kill me, right? Like, he was so scared of being alone, right? Yeah, so uh, that's, a, that's a great one to start with. Who, who else? Uh, other, yeah, Patricia? Well, Elijah, even though he has seen everything that God has done. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sometimes we come off of our spiritual highs, right? Where, in this case, Elijah had just conquered the prophets of Baal and, you know, fire from heaven came down on the altar, all that stuff. And then one little thing, Jezebel's after him and he, he goes into depression, right? Yeah, 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 that's really good. Job. Job. Boy, talk about going from riches to rags, right? Had everything. Children and family and servants and flocks and crops and bang, 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 bang. It all goes. And he's left by himself sitting in a ash heap, scraping the uh, sores off of his skin with broken pottery. Oof, that's that's lonely. Yeah. Yes. Paul that was put in jail all those times, but he stayed upbeat. Yeah. Yeah, right. So the Apostle Paul, and 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 we've just gone through the book of Acts here, so we've gotten to to hear a lot about Paul's journeys. One of the things that we didn't necessarily get to there 
because the book of Acts does, doesn't go this far as that um, at the end of his life, as he's writing Second Timothy, he, he says, everyone's left me. Everyone has left him, and he was in prison by himself. He was lonely. Yeah, good. Marilyn, oh, yeah, let's, let's go with Marilyn since she hasn't gotten a chance to. If you want to talk about the gospel, here it is. And so may as well just go into it. So Jesus, if we think about him being lonely, he went off into the desert for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry. But at the end of his ministry, Jesus on the cross, abandoned by his disciples. Some were maybe at a distance, right? John and the women. Most had fled. Jesus even cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see like how deep this is? That on the cross, Jesus suffered hell, which is isolation from God. Isolation, complete isolation, right? There's, there's all kinds of different metaphors and analogies we can lean into. Suffering, uh, pain, affliction, all that stuff. But he was on the cross suffering, not merely as an example to us as to how we ought to suffer well, although certainly that, but as a sacrifice for you. As a sacrifice He took isolation and loneliness fully, completely. I mean, even making Job's isolation pale in comparison. Job was at least able to pray to God still. He took that so that you can have community forever. Here's the gospel in seven words that I came up with for today. Jesus Christ refuses to leave us lonely. He refuses to leave you lonely. Maybe you are someone that this loneliness metaphor, it speaks to you. It sticks and it stirs. Know this, that we here today are merely members of the body of Christ. And we're so glad to have you in our community with us. Because we know that Jesus is here. We know that Jesus promises where two or three are gathered, there I am with them, with you. So, a couple, uh, l- l- let me just uh, re- read one more thing for us from Revelation chapter 7. We read Genesis at the beginning of the, the Bible. This is Revelation. The end of our story as Christians, and yet just the beginning. Isn't that exciting, right? Revelation 7, sorry, verses 
9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold, this is John speaking, right? After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. Clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Always be prepared to defend the hope that we have in Jesus. Part of that hope is that Jesus Christ refuses to leave you lonely. Amen.